Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. chapter number 27. I know we've read a very lengthy portion of scripture this morning, uh, but really the entire chapter is one account of an event that took place in the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. These 44 verses have much to speak to the child of God today. And I want us really just to uh, look at, uh, in particular, take our thought out of one verse that's here in this passage for this morning. Uh, but if you think about the book of Acts just for a minute, you know that the Apostle Paul was saved in Acts chapter number 9. Uh, he, was, uh, he was called to preach there uh, at, that, at his conversion in Acts chapter number 9. He was filled with the Spirit of God and he was baptized later on in that chapter. Here we are in Acts chapter number 27. Uh, historically, on the timeline of uh, the days of the early church, this is now uh, some 28 years after the conversion of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter number 9. And 28 years later, we still find the Apostle Paul on the firing line, serving God faithfully, giving his life uh, for the glory of God. Amen. And I'm just thankful that I, I think about this 28 years later. You don't find you don't find Paul. Uh, you don't find him by the side of those uh, those Judean roads quitting on God. You don't find him stopping. You haven't even found Paul even lie, uh, 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 lighting things up a little bit. Amen. He hasn't slacked off a bit. Amen. Amen. When we come to our text in verse number 1, the Bible says when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul, and notice these next few words, and certain other prisoners. That means that Paul is included in these this list of prisoners when we come to our text. Paul has not quit on God, but rather he's intensified his service to the Lord in such a way that it made the secular governments mad. They put him in uh, shackles. They have arrested him. And when we come to our text, he is being placed on this ship as a prisoner of Rome. He was arrested in the temple uh, just, just a little while ago, sometimes about two years ago by this time. He had been arrested in the temple of the Lord uh, for bringing four men to the temple to observe an Old Testament law of purification. When he was in the temple, the Jews had falsely accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. That was just accusation. And they saw one of Gen one of Paul's Gentile fellow laborers for the uh, cause of the gospel saint standing on the outside of the temple. They supposed that Paul had brought him in, which never was the case. And they trumped up false charges to arrest the apostle Paul for doing nothing more than obeying the laws that they say uh, they believe. They accuse him and they arrest him in the temple for defiling the temple. And by the time we come to Acts chapter number 27, Paul has stood before six tribunals. He has stood six times giving a testimony as to his innocence and as to the crimes that he is being accused of. He has stood before the infamous Sanhedrin council and they could find nothing wrong with him. He has stood before Felix. Felix dies and he now stands before Festus. Felix 
Jesus' ruler as the governor of that part of the world. Then the last chapter, Acts chapter number 26, he stood before King Agrippa and even King Agrippa. After hearing the testimony of the Apostle Paul, he says there's, there's nothing, he's not guilty. There's nothing that he's done that is worthy of bonds. He even said your testimony almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Agrippa was convicted by the testimony of the Lord, but he said outside of me being convicted of my sin, I don't have anything to, uh, to uh, by the law convict you of. And he said that you would have been set at liberty had you not requested an appeal to Caesar. When we come to our text, Paul is on his way to appeal to Caesar. This Caesar that Paul is, is appealing to, I mentioned this to the teens this morning, this Caesar that Paul is appearing to is probably one of the most wicked men to ever live. Uh, he was a man, uh, his name was, his name, his title was Caesar, the Roman, he was the Roman emperor of the, of the empire of Rome. He was the emperor, his title was called Caesar, but his name was Nero. Uh, Nero was a wicked man. I told our teens this morning that Nero was a man that would have made the, uh, made the crimes of Adolf Hitler, make Adolf Hitler look like a Girl Scout. What Nero would do is he would slaughter Christians and he would take their uh, dead bodies and he would turn them into torches and he would light them on fire and use them as torches to light his personal gardens in his palace. This man had a thirst for blood. This man was insane. He had even committed murder towards his own mother. This is who Paul is having to face. He's on his way to face Nero He's on his way on this ship to take him to stand before one of the most, the most wicked men of all of human history. And there, just like Paul always would do, he stood before Felix and gave the gospel. He stood before the Sanhedrin council and gave the gospel. He stood before Festus and gave the gospel. He stood before King Agrippa and he gave the gospel. I have no doubt in my mind that Paul would have chosen, even if he lost his life doing so, he would have given the gospel to that wicked man. Told him how to be saved. I thank God for uh, what the Bible teaches us about the many times that Paul was a prisoner. About how churches were built in the places that Paul was a prisoner in. Paul used his imprisonments for the glory of God. He didn't look at them as a stop on the road of his Christian service, but rather he looked at them as a stepping stone of opportunity, open doors uh, to make a greater difference in places that he never would have been able to make a difference before. If Paul was never arrested, he never would have been in the palace. The Bible says in the last part of the book of uh, the book of uh, Philemon, I believe it is, uh, maybe Philippians, one of the two, I think it might be Philippians, says that there was a church founded in Caesar's household. Underneath Nero's nose in the prisons of Nero's palace, there was a church of believers being founded because Paul was placed in his life as a prisoner in a place he never would have been outside of being arrested. For the cause of Christ. Now let me just say this. This isn't part of the message this morning. But it's a shame what, takes, what, it, what it takes for us to quit on God. Right. Oh, yeah. Amen. Paul knew when he, got to Nero's, when he got to Nero's place there in Rome. He knew that he was not making it out alive. But he still didn't quit. He served until his dying day to be able to say, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. But as he was on his way to Nero. Paul boards this ship. He has been a prisoner for two long years, but we find him in this text not as a brash 
and not as a burdensome prisoner trying to fight his way uh, out of his circumstances, but rather as a submissive prisoner that uh, is not fighting his way, but rather he is humbling himself to the will of God. He, we see in verse number 3 that this centurion, Roman centurion guard by the name of Julius that has been charged to his watch and keeping him uh, in his bonds. The Bible says in verse 3 that Julius treated him courteously. The Bible said in Julius in verse 3 of our text, and courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go on to his friends to refresh himself. This centurion, a man that would have been known for brute strength and brutality, is being courteous to the Apostle Paul, allows him even to enjoy the exhortation and the refreshing and the encouragement of the people of God for which, with which he has labored so faithfully. If we stopped at verse number 3, it would sound like outside of being in bonds, Paul had it pretty good. You see, there was no other ruler that allowed Paul to go to his friends and refresh himself. There was no other, no other guard that had been placed over him that let him do anything but sit there in shackles. Now it seems like Paul's, uh, Paul's uh, life is picking up a little bit. It's getting a little bit better. It's getting a little bit easier for him. Yes, he's still in bonds, but at least he's getting some encouragement. But verse 4 changes the whole scenario when we come to our text. If it wasn't, if I believe that this text would have ended in verse number 3, very many of us probably in this room this morning would not have even had any kind of idea of what takes place in Acts 27. But because of the wordings of verse number 4, we find that there are some memorable things on the horizon. And believe it or not, the things that are committed to our memory in this passage are not great things. They're not enjoyable things. You see, when it comes to the good things in our life, a lot of times those are the easiest to forget. A lot of times it takes tragedy. It takes hard times. It takes difficult days for them to be permanently stamped upon our memory. And no doubt with this text, you know what we know this text for? It has nothing to do with, uh, the, with the message of companionship uh, that we find in this verse number 3 with his friends, but rather it, what we remember about this text is not the companionship, but rather the calamity that is found in this text. Because verse 4 tells us of the contrary winds that had come into the picture and that by verse number 14, these contrary winds would have become a chaotic storm called Jeroclodon. Think about verse number verse number 14 with me where the Bible says, and not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind. I don't think that sounds very fun to you. Tempestuous, that's not even fun to say, much less to go through. A tempestuous wind called Jeroclodon. You know a storm is big when they start giving a name to it. Is that not what we do in the United States of America? You have a tropical storm come up uh, somewhere in the seas on the coast and, and it's beginning to pick up steam, pick up wind. It becomes bigger and more powerful and more aggressive and a tropical storm becomes a hurricane. And when it becomes that tropical storm, you give it a name. I think about this part of the world. Think about the, the, the state of South Carolina. I can't hear anybody that was alive during the time talk about a hurricane without hearing the name Hugo come up. South Carolina remembers Hugo. Why? Because it was a storm big enough that it had to have its own name. So that in all the annals of history, uh, when you thought about the effect that that storm had on that place, you would know what location and what, uh, what time frame you were talking about because the storm was given a name. You'll always think about the 1980s 
and the great storms of the 1980s when you hear Hugo because you gave it a name. You think about the early 2000s in the, in the lower part of the world, especially, uh, especially Louisiana and places like that, you think about Katrina. Think about just a few years ago, you'll think about Harvey and some of the other hurricanes that uh, came about. Powerful storms that were given a name because of how strong and damaging and aggressive they were. Paul was a prisoner for the cause of Christ. He was put on this ship for the gospel's sake. And the Bible says in verse number 14 that a storm arose so big they had to give it a name. This morning I want us to look, and maybe even tonight as the Lord leads, I want us to look at what the Bible has to say about this great storm that Paul and those men that went through this with him, uh, what, what they went through. And I want, a particular, I want to look at a particular aspect of the text concerning this storm. Look at verse number 9 with me. And in particular verse number 10. The Bible says in verse 9, And when much time was spent, by the way, what we're about to read is prior to the storm. What we find before this is there's just some wind. It's contrary wind. It's coming against them. But it has not became the great storm Eurachlodon yet. When I believe with all of my heart the reason why they faced Eurachlodon is because of what they did in verse number 9 and verse number 10. Because Eurachlodon was not for them. That storm was not for them. They did not have to be in that part of the water that was going through that great storm. Look at verse 9 with me. And when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, that fe those feast days were already behind them, Paul said, we're not in a hurry to get where we're going because we don't have to make it by the feast anymore. It's already past the fast, rather. He says, Paul admonished them. The word admonished there means to advise. It means to advise a different course. It means to warn and to reprimand someone firmly. Paul here is not just giving, just giving tender, soft, compassionate advice. Paul here is giving them a message from God and when he admonishes them, he is giving a strong, stern warning to them. Look what it says in verse 10. He said unto them, Sirs, I perceive, and no doubt you talk about perception in the Bible, it is a perception that you get from God. He said, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the landing of the ship, but also of our lives. Now look at verse number 11. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. When we come to our text, Paul has given as God's man a warning to those on the ship. He has, if you will, if I can liken it to this, he has preached the truth to them. He has given them the word of God, the perception that he gotten from the Holy Ghost of God. And he said, if you go that direction, it's going to be with hurt and it's going to be with much damage. Friend, you don't want to go that direction. I know God has led me to tell you that you don't want to go that direction. And the Bible said that they believed the master of the ship instead of the master of the sea. And they took their own course and they made their own voyage and they walked out of the will of God for their life. And because they did, they faced Eurachlodon head on. My burden this morning, 
It's about this voyage that they took. Paul said, this voyage. <coughs> Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be, will certainly be. He's not saying it might be. He says it will be with hurt and much damage. As your pastor and as a pastor of a local independent Baptist church, you know what I find out all the time? There's people in this room and there's people in churches that I preach in all over the South and everywhere I've been. There's always people who claim the name of Christ that are willing to take a voluntary voyage out of the will of God. He said, this voyage will be with her and much damage and they chose not to believe him. And verse number 13 says, loosing fence. They sailed close by Crete. They still loosed their ship. They still left that place. And despite all of the warning, despite the admonition, despite the preaching that they heard, they walked out. And what, how did they walk out? Voluntarily. They didn't have to leave. Paul's admonishing them to stay. He says it's too dangerous to sail in right now. It's too dangerous of a place for you to loose and go out onto this ship. And that master of the ship, that captain said, I know better than the preacher does. I know better than the Word of God does. I know better than the Lord does. I know better. I can see that everything's all right. And they chose to take a voluntary voyage out of the will of God. This morning, I want to preach on a voyage that's voluntary. A voyage that's voluntary. This voyage was a voyage that was outside of the will of God and outside of the counsel of God's man. It was a voyage that they did not have to go on. And one thing that we will find out in this passage is that when they walked out of the will of God, they also walked out from underneath the protecting hand of God. They were out on those raging waves all by themselves because they did not go God's way. Let me say this this morning. I don't think I'm going to get much further than the introduction. But let me say this this morning. I'm not preaching this today because I have an axe to grind with anybody. But there are things in my prayer closet that I pray for some of you and that I pray for others that may not be here this morning but that have been to our church. And it's a terrifying thing for me as a pastor, as someone who preaches the Word of God and looks out on these faces Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and even other times during the week with special meetings, I look at you every single week, and there are some of you that know what you're doing is not right, that know the course that you're going is not the way that you need to go, but yet you still voluntarily choose to live the way that you're living. You still voluntarily choose to go on a voluntary voyage out of the will of God. And friend, I'm here uh, to report to you that that is a dangerous place to be because you're on your way to a Eurocladon. Yes, There's some of you in here that have heard me preach. You've heard me preach truth that you need to hear and to heed. But week after week, I, I watch you sit there hearing but never heeding. There's some of you here that God could use in great ways but he'll never be able to because you have chosen to ignore what he has said to be right. And you have chosen to voluntarily do your own thing and go on your own voyage out of the will of God and away from the protection of God. There's couples in here. Some of these things I'm going to speak generally because I don't know all of the situations. I'm just trying to be a help this morning. There very well may be couples in here. You've heard me preach on marriage and you have not done anything. 
with what I've preached about marriage. I, I, you, I, I've, I've preached on it. But you sit there and you don't listen because you're on your own voyage. There's some of you, you think about, you think about the, the time that we spent several months ago. There's some of you in here that I preached on uh, for almost two months about the dangers of dating and going out of the will of God. None of you have listened to me yet. I've watched since those messages. People be in relationships. I've watched people pick up new relationships that they never should have had. That they don't need to have. How can you hear messages about it and stay doing on what you got what you heard preached against? There's some, there's some people in here that I preach time and time and time again on faithfulness to the house of God and to the things of God and to the ministries of the church, but yet you're on your own voyage. You're going to do what makes you feel right. You're going to do what makes you feel comfortable. You're not going to do any extra. You're not going to, you're not going to put anything else in another place. You're not going to put the church house and the things of God in the proper place, which ought to be first place, because you're on your own voyage. It's a dangerous place to be. Let me say this while I'm on that subject. I have watched people in here. And I hope I'm not offending nobody. I'm just trying to help you this morning. Go ahead, brother. There's people that I've, I've watched in here that were faithful when I came. That now I have to pray for you on Wednesday nights. Praying. That you'll show up on Wednesday night. That confidence I used to have. They're going to be there. And I don't have to worry about it. They're there and they're faithful. Now I spend time in my prayer closet praying, hoping that you'll show up. That shows a danger. I'm terrified for some of us in here this morning. I'm not, let me say this, I'm not here because I have to be. I'm not in this church just because I'm the pastor. I'm here because I want to be. Before you ever called me, I gave a yes to that for that dear pastor that was here before me, Brother Caldwell. When he asked me to come, I voluntarily said yes, not knowing that I was going to be here today. I'm here because I want to be. You can't make me come, and I can't make you come. But I do believe that there is a God in heaven who should make you want to come, and make you want to be here, and make you not want to lay out for any old thing. There's some of you here that or on your own voyage and you'll miss church for a job that has become your God. Yeah. You'll miss job, you'll miss church rather for a, a hobby that you know better than to let it cause you to replace your time in the house of God with it. Let me say this, my whole, my policy my whole life of working a job was to not let any job or any hobby or anything in my life take God's place in the house of God. Sometimes I got paid less. Sometimes I didn't make great money. But I was not going to sign. I even tell my employers. I would, I, when I signed up for a job, and if they told me, if you're going to work here, you've got to work Sundays and Wednesdays, I took that as an opportunity for them to be letting me know this is not God's will for your life. God, through their words, gave me a, a direction, gave me direction signs for my life and for my family and for the direction that I was going to go with. This is not God's will. Guess I've got to pray for something else. 
I would, I would tell I would tell the employers sitting across the interview desk because as far as I was concerned, I didn't have nothing to lose. I had a God in heaven who was going to take care of my needs. I didn't have to bow to them and their what they wanted from me. I didn't I did not have to do that. God was going to take care of me, and God was going to take care of my family. Amen. And there have been times uh, when He's had to do that. My wife had testified to that. There's times we've had to pray bills in, but guess where we were? We were in the house of God. We were serving the Lord. I was preaching the gospel. I didn't give up anything in my life to serve God. God gave me everything that I needed right when I needed it. Amen. I would tell those employers sitting across the desk on an interview with them, I would tell them, I said, I am, I am a Christian. I, I attend my church faithfully. I support everything we do down at Resurrection Baptist Church in Calpia, South Carolina, and where I was a member of before God sent me off to pastor. And I would tell them, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a church member. But more than that, I'm a Christian. And I'm not going to sin against my Lord in trying to be your employee by missing out on the things that God does in His house. Amen. You know what sin is? Sin is you not doing anything that God told you to do. And God commands you to do. When the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. When God said, do not forsake the assembly of the people of God, you know what God was saying? He said, don't miss. There's times you, you, there's times you legitimately have to work and you get fired and you wouldn't be able to provide for your family if you didn't. That's one thing. That is, a, that is a meritable excuse for not being able to be here. Anything short of that is not a meritable excuse. If you are sick and you are, you are contagious and sick and you cannot be here and it would impair your ability to be here and be a blessing in the house of God because you're so sick, that is a meritable reason not to be here. Brother Andy, Miss Deborah told me, and I don't know, I don't know uh, where they are this morning, but I'll leave that between them and the Lord. But they told me a couple of days ago, a little while ago, that one service they missed, they said, Preacher, we're sick as a dog. We've got a virus over here at the house. And I told them, I said, y'all take care and don't bring it to church. <laughs> We've had enough people in the hospital to see. <laughs> you know what that was? That was a legitimate excuse. If you're sick, if you're working, and there's no way that you can get out of it without losing your job, that's a meritable excuse. If you're on an occasional vacation with you and your family, I believe everybody in here is entitled to a vacation. I believe there's some times you've got to unhook and go out with your family and enjoy that time. Uh, I do believe you ought to be careful with that because I've met a whole lot of people that are always on vacation. <laughs> I'm not talking about vacation from me. I'm talking about a vacation from your work and, and all that. If you can still work, you're not on vacation. If you still show up at the job every day on Monday morning, you're not on vacation. Your vacations don't only last on Sundays and Wednesdays. Amen. Amen. But that's the way I take it because here's the reason. It's not, that's not my opinion. But because anything else would be forsaking God's house. When you could be here and you say, I'm not going to be because of whatever reason you come up with, you're forsaking the house of God. God said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Right. When God commanded that and He said that, He said for you to do any less than what He commanded is not what He wants. For you to do anything, not to do something that He tells you to do, or for you to do something He tells you not to do, it is a sin. 
That's just plain Bible preaching. James says, for him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him that is sin. You know what is right. These men knew what was right. If they had any spiritual temperature at all, they would have known that it was too dangerous to sail in. I don't know if that captain was just trying to show off his skills on the sea. I don't. You see it in the text. He did have some pretty. He did have some pretty good skills on the sea. What you find him doing throughout these first few verses of Acts 27 as he goes by this one place in verse 4, as he goes under Cyprus and as he sails over Cilicia and Pamphylia, what he's doing is he's navigating the waters to the most safe place to sail in those contrary winds. He knows what he's doing. He would have known by looking at that sea that it was too dangerous. If Paul can tell, if just hit, Paul was not a, a was not a fisherman, Paul was not a sailor. Paul was a tent maker by his trade and occupation. If a tent maker, a common man that works with his hands and has no has no knowledge in fishing, if he can see it's too dangerous to sail in, no doubt he said, "I perceive this. I got this from God. When God says it's too dangerous for you to sail, you should not go sail unless the captain of the sea tells you you can go." He can see, if he can see it's too dangerous, that fisher, that, 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 that captain would have known it was too dangerous. There's some people that I've, I've witnessed to, I've talked to, there's people in, even in this church, you know what you're doing is dangerous. You know that you're tempting your heart with things that are unspiritual. But yet you do it anyway because you think you know what's best for you. You think you have you can have your you can have your opinion and bring God over on your side. God's not interested in coming over on our side. God is interested in us going on his side. Amen. I think about Joshua there in the book of Joshua, the captain of the Lord of hosts comes. They asked him, Are you for us or for our adversary? He said, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. What in other words, what he was saying, I didn't come to take sides, I came to take over. Guess who is coming this morning to take over? Jesus is. Captain of the Lord of Hosts, there was a that was a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Christ. Jesus was there standing before Joshua, and he said, "I am the Captain of the Lord of Hosts." He said, "I, I am the Captain. I'm in authority. I'm in control. You do what I say." He's not interested in getting you on. Are you, you, you? He's not interested in coming over on your side, just like that captain of the Lord's host didn't come over on Joshua's side. He said, "Joshua, you either deal with the program or you get gone." That's what he told him. I'm coming to take over. God needs to take over yes, sir. our lives. Right. Some of us are giving God part of our lives. Some of us used to give God more of our lives, but we're slowly letting some things go. That's not the way that we need to be today. Amen. God needs to be in control. And if He's not in control, we need to be in this altar asking God to be in control of our lives again. Having all of us and having His say and all of the decisions that we make. Some of you are on a voluntary voyage out of the will of God. You're not even concerned about it. It's sad that I am more concerned about your spiritual condition than you are. It's sad that I am more concerned over the spiritual condition of your children than you are. It's sad. 
By the way, you'll never be able to have children live a godly life just by them hearing the preacher give them truth and having the preacher give them right doctrine and sound word. If it is not reciprocated at home, if it's not enforced at home, I can preach until I'm blue in the face. I can preach every I can preach every Sunday, preach my heart out, preach my guts out every Sunday morning. And until you start backing it up at home and leading your children in it, your children are still going to go the same direction. That's right. right. Because let, let me say this, and this, part part of this is, is, is again with coming to church. It's one of the easiest ways to teach your kids to be spiritual: just show up. Yes, sir. The way that you live your life will teach your children what is important to you. That's right. If you're good being Sunday morning only, guess who's watching that? Guess who you're teaching that to? You're teaching that God's important on Sundays, but Sunday night is not important. He's not important enough to get you to the house of God on Wednesday night. I know you've had a hard week. I've worked, I've worked jobs. I've had hard weeks. I would work hard on my job, then go back, go to the house of God and preach like I'm doing to you. I would have worked a full shift and I got I get more tired preaching than I did working a whole day's work on my jobs. I'd put in two, I would put in two days worth of labor. In one day. You know why? Because people need to hear the truth. That's right. If, I'm, if I was willing to do that, you know what I taught my wife? Jesus means, I'm, I'm telling you, there was times, and I'm not, I'm not any superior Christian. I'm just telling you what I know and what I've experienced. I'm not saying that I'm the perfect example. You can ask my wife, she'll tell you, amen. I hope she wouldn't be too descriptive about it, amen. But she'll tell you, I'm not the perfect, I'm human. But I can only tell you what I've experienced, what I've been through. My wife has watched me serve Jesus from sun up to sundown. She does know if there's one thing that's important to Josh Lawson more than anything else, it is Jesus Christ. If there's anything that is important to him more than more than even her, more than even my son, it is Jesus Christ. There have been times that I have walked away from them to go somewhere way off in another in, in, in another town, in another place, in a jail, in, in a jail cell with someone in a in a, in a, in a, in a, in a room in prison, surrounded by prisoners and having bars caught fall, uh, closed behind me just to tell people that there's hope in Jesus. She saw me walk into broken homes and see me walk in the children's shelters and preach the gospel to people who have no other hope. Why? Why would I walk away from them? Because Jesus means more than even my own family. And I believe that Jesus will cause a love for my family and I'll put them first above anything but Jesus means the most. Doing what he said means the most and when you don't do Simple things that God has commanded of you. You are teaching your children, number one, that Jesus does not mean as much to you as your words are saying. Because your children aren't going to learn by your words. They're going to learn by your life. That's right. Yes, if you're not faithful to the things of God, you'll never be able to expect to raise children that are faithful to the things of God. If you're not going to come to church every time the doors are open, you're not going to, you're not going to make arrangements to do so. Put things in your life in different places to do so. Guess what? You'll teach your children that work comes first and that, and that hobbies come first and your golf game comes first and your hunting club comes first and your social activities come first. And then you will, you will, uh, you will bring the, the worship of God to a place to where it's convenient rather than conviction. That's right. What are we teaching our children? How are we showing God that we care? 
What are you showing to other Christians means the most to you. God is not playing with us when He gives us commands. God did not give in the Old Testament in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Guess what? God did not give ten suggestions. I don't care what Perry Noble taught those years ago. They were not ten suggestions. They were ten commandments from God. And if you do not change your life and line your life up with His laws, you are out of the will of God. You are in sin. And the psalmist said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You want to know why this preacher is so, so burdened this morning? It's because there's some of you that when we ask to pray, I spend time praying burden for you because I know you can't because you're regarding iniquity in your heart. Just tell you what the Bible said. God told David to pin down if I regard, if I hold, if I put a place for iniquity in my heart, God's not going to hear you. There's some of you who prayed prayers this week that God hasn't heard you. There's some of you that are praying prayers for loved ones this morning that God will not hear until you get things right with Him. Your spiritual condition is, is everything. Brother Rackley says it time and time again when he preaches our spirituality is our survival. Literally in our text, their spirituality would have been their survival. Paul said this, this voyage, the voluntary voyage they will, 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 will be with hurt. And much damage. He said, if you're going to get through, you're going to have to be spiritual. They made an unspiritual decision and it caused much damage into their life. Some of, some of you in here are as mad at me as you ever would be. Yes. Was it not Paul that said, am I maybe somewhere in the Gospels Forgive me, I know the verse, I don't know the address. The Bible says, and I become your enemy because I tell you the truth. There's some of you may be tempted this morning to walk out these doors today and never come back, never darken the doors. And the reason is because you heard the truth. Yes, sir. You ought to be thankful that someone loves you enough to tell you the truth. And I'm not talking about just me. You ought to be thankful every time Brother Caldwell ever got up and preached to you the truth because you needed it. You should be thankful every time your Sunday school teacher gets up in the and gets up in the class and tells you the truth or sits there at that table and tells you the truth. We are living in an age of lies and deception. We're living in a day where people would rather lie to you than tell you the truth. You ought to thank God that somebody tell you the truth and tell you what God said so you can know how to get it right and have your relationship with God be everything that it needs to be. I would, I would be, I would be a horrible excuse of a pastor to call myself your pastor. You do know the word pastor means a shepherd. You know what a shepherd does when the sheep go astray? He has a rod and he has a staff, and that that rod is used for protection from any outside. You have, a, you have some kind of predator comes in. He'd use that rod, literally just a big stick, that he would beat that predator off with to save his sheep. But a shepherd, what a shepherd's known for is not necessarily the rod as much, but it's the staff that he carries. That, that shepherd was known for his staff. I think about Brother Adrian Rogers when he 
died as, as he died after many decades of pastoring Bellevue Baptist Church in in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, Brother Rogers, when they laid his casket before the church and the new pastor, Brother Steve Gaines, preached the funeral, one of the things that they did at that funeral that's always etched in my mind, you'll see that casket at the front of the church. They've got videos of it today. That, that casket had a shepherd's staff laid across it. Because they said for the last 30, 35, 40 years, I think it was, this man was our shepherd. And he shepherded our, con he shepherded our congregation. A pastor is to be a shepherd. I hope that one day, and I know I'm a young man, I know I'm young enough to be some of your children, but I'm telling you, I'm not preaching to you this morning things that I have not lived. I'm not preaching to you things that I have not seen. I'm a young man, but I've been in this thing a long time, and I've lived in it long enough to see the other side of a spiritual life and people going down in a skid row of life facing their own Eurotelodons, and there will be a day, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself this morning, but there will be a day where you will turn around and you would have wished you made different decisions and you would have wished you lived for God better than today uh, than you did. You will wish that you would have changed your direction. Paul was shepherding them. Paul's the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was apostle of the church. He had God's ear and he had, he had favor with men and he heard from God a message that they needed to hear and he did not shy away from it. I'll be honest with you, I was very nervous preaching this message to y'all this morning. Thank you, brother. I told Brother Tommy last night when he called me to talk about another matter about uh, about this for this morning. He called me last night and I told him, I said, Brother, pray for me. I've got a burden on my heart. Yes, sir. You see, as a pastor, when you spend time praying for your church, it's hard for the things that you see in their life not to become a burden on you. Because you're asking the Lord specifically, help them with this, help them with this. Bless this family, touch this family, use this family. And God not only gives you a burden, but God gives you vision for how you can use certain individuals in the service of the Lord. But then with going on a voluntary voyage out of the will of God puts all of that on halt. I would be a sorry excuse of a pastor if I did not love you enough to tell you the truth. Yes, sir. I hope that one day, in years as years go by, if the Lord lives and allows me to live to be a silver-haired saint of God and still pastoring this church, if you, if some of you were to were to be in this church and have my casket in the front of this church building or wherever the service would be, I hope I would have been enough pastor to this congregation like you like they did for Brother Rogers to be able to say Josh Lawson was our shepherd and he led us in the ways of God and he took that staff and. He tried to pull us away. See those sheep, they would go, they would be with those sheep would be willing to walk right off a cliff because they never paid attention to where their feet were taking them, to where their existence was taking them. Those sheep would get cast and they would get stuck on their side, and if they did not get pulled to their feet, they would die. They would their in their internal their internal organs are not meant to stay uh, stay uh, upside down. And there's some of you that are living Christian lives that are all out of whack and upside down. You're not designed to live that way. God did not create you to live that way. God did not design what He worked in us in you life. He did not design it for for that to work. That shepherd would have to go to them, take that crook on that staff, pull them to their feet to where they won't die in their own shame. 
They would take, when that one was going off the edge into certain destruction, the shepherd would take that staff and he would pull them back to safety. This morning may have been ordained from heaven for some of you to find your place in an old time altar as the shepherd of this flock tries to take the staff of the word of God and just show you that you're headed for destruction, you're headed for hurt and much damage, and you need to admit some things in your life. You need to get serious about God. You need to let Him be in control. You need to make the right decisions. You need to listen to the preaching. You need to listen to the advice of the Holy Ghost. You need to listen to the God of heaven and the word of God. Lest you face your own personal. Yes, sir. You're off the mark. That's right. I'm telling you, I'm trying to warn you this morning. Sometime down the road, we'll look at what this voyage did for them. There's several things in this text that this voyage ended up doing for them. One of the first things that's mentioned, I'll get a little ahead of myself, but let me just mention this and we'll be done. Verse number 10 says that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. Verse 9 says it was dangerous. The voyage will be a dangerous voyage. The voyage will be a damaging voyage for you if you're not careful. If any other things in this text that this voyage will mean for you, this morning, just by way of introduction, I just wanted to warn you. Let you know personally that there's a number of people that I'm looking at this morning that are on your own voyage out of the will of God. You're not where you need to be. And you need to choose today whether you're going to walk out, you're going to believe the master of the, master of the ship, the one that's driving the direction, which in this case would be you. You're charting your own course. I'm going to do what I want to do. Whether the Word of God tells me it's wrong or not, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to let this influence in my life have its way over the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I'm going to let this person or this agency or whatever have its will and its way with my life instead of letting God have its way. How serious are you about the things of God? How, how far do you want to stay? Because you're rock with God. Too many people want to live right on the edge of the greatest, the, the, the heaviest winded storms of their life. I'm telling you, it's never, never a good choice to walk out of the will of God. The safest place you can be is in the perfect will of God. And the most dangerous place you can be is outside of the will of God. Let God speak to your heart if you need to come and do business with God. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh,